What's up, Team Female? Welcome to Female Political Strategy. Female first, female forward. Politically non-binary. I'm Ro. I'm Lilith. And I'm Al. So today we're going to be talking about female separatism. This is actually going to be a topic for my next article on my series about feminist realism. For the last article, I wrote the article first and then we recorded the episode, but this week we're doing the opposite. We're recording the episode first and then I'm going to write the article. So this is going to be a discussion. First, we're going to define what female separatism is, some of the possible merits, and ultimately why we think it's a losing strategy for women. I remember this discussion topic has come up frequently on FDS because uh, in general, FDS is geared towards creating uh, <laughs> creating effective dating strategies for women who wish to date and find men to date. And there's been like a, a pretty hostile element that has on a couple of occasions attempted to take over the subreddit um, and oh, yeah. just <laughs> encourage everyone not to date and become separatists, either uh, join another sub that was uh, a mirror of MGTOW called WIGTOW, although far, far, far less violent and mostly about like cottage coordinating yeah, Wigtow, like, yeah, women going their own way, they are not the same as Migtow. Migtow are re- super violent. The Wigtow, they're pretty chill, actually. But, you know, again, even though they're all, I think they're all right, they don't think we're all right. And they very much do not agree with FDS and the premise of dating men. It's almost like two factions. So there's the women that want to live separatist as a lifestyle choice. And more or less, once again, I think there was a discussion that, okay, female dating strategies for people that are actively dating. And then there's the women that are like, they're scared of their own shadow. You know, they're like, I read all of these horror stories about men all of the time. I'm just never going to date a man. I'm going to be by myself, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, and or they're going to build like a female only village and make a political statement against having to date men in the current, you know, in their current state. And like, I'm not making a statement on, you know, if you want to live your life, that's fine. But I think more or less what is the overall benefit of doing that is the question we're trying to parse out here because the idea is, okay, well, if we all just live like a female separatist life, first of all, it's just horribly unrealistic and probably going to turn off most women. But then two, like, what are the actual, what would be the actual political benefits if we did that? Like what realistically, what would that gain us? Yeah. And I want to say, first of all, straight up gates, like I'm not totally against the concepts of like, Separatism isn't all bad, right? Even though, like, my interactions with separatists online have been largely uh, unpleasant, let's just say. Um, I think there are some good ideas within separatism, and that's what we're going to be discussing today. And just so you, just so for some background, the the interaction that made me, that inspired me to write this, that inspired me to do this topic was a few months ago... I saw a tweet from a separatist, and and this happens every time separatists get challenged. Uh, They're like, oh, separatism isn't actually about separating from men. It's about living female-centric lives, supporting women's businesses, hiring female professionals, listening to women's music and stuff. And I replied in agreement, right? Because I am just the sort of person I'm always trying to find common ground with my political opponents or people I might not totally agree with. And so I was like, I totally agree with that. Like with FDS, we're all about maximizing female benefit and prioritizing women. And so, you know, responded in agreement. And they, for some reason, responded really in a hostile way. I got like that tweet got like, quote, retweeted like 20 times in a hostile way. They were so offended that I compared separatism to FDS in like a positive way, you know, calling me cocksucker, calling me dick worshiper, calling me um girl boss 
the girl boss one was really weird to me. Like they, they, they said that, Oh, prioritizing women or maximizing female benefit. They called that girl boss MLM hun language or rhetoric. And they also made fun of me for using emojis. Uh, so they're kind of just assholes. There's some women too, because they don't date men. They're not heterosexual. They don't understand like why straight women feel the need to keep interacting with men. It's a weird denial of heterosexuality in straight women. It's like they're saying, well, why can't you leave men alone? It's like, well, because we're attracted to men. And then they feel like, well, then that's what you get. Compulsive heterosexuality, okay? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, well, the, th- the thing is, is like when you say to them, oh, women can't choose our, you know, sexuality, just as, you know, people can't choose being lesbian, we also can't choose being straight. They often say, well, just because you're attracted to men doesn't mean you have to actually act on it. And they'll they'll even say things like, I've had a few of them reply to me like, oh, just because, you know, you have cravings for cake or whatever, doesn't mean you should actually eat it. You know, you can just not eat the cake kind of thing. (laughs) And it's like, first of all that's like low-key kind of like eating disorder rhetoric like (laughs) like you know if you the idea that like oh certain foods are bad and you should just never touch them even if you have cravings for them right um like even in like the dieting community they'll be like oh you know instead of swearing off cake forever just have like one piece of cake right instead of having a whole cake that's that's like maybe the more healthy option whereas like separatists are sort of like the dating equivalent of being like never eat sugar never touch a cake never even breathe the same air as someone who eats cake kind of thing (laughs) so it's just sort of like it's it is very extreme and 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 i also don't like the sort of mott and bailey fallacy where whenever people criticize the idea of separatism they're like well it's not actually about separating it's actually about and then they talk about something that's much more easy to justify like prioritizing women or maximizing female benefits or at least that's how i see it also like just the idea that all women have one shared interest and like vision for the world i mean we don't even see it in the world as it stands like between men so like why would we assume like Suddenly, it'd be this great Valhalla if all women just got together and created their own little universe. So anyways, but before, I know we've like just talked a bunch of shit about female separatists, but first let's define what female separatism is. Let's talk about a bit of the history. Basically, female separatism is the idea that patriarchy can be, or that resisting patriarchy can be done by women separating from men. And I want to be very clear that separatists are not a monolith, even within the separatist community, there's a lot of debate around, first of all, the degree to which women should separate from men, two, the, what are the possible benefits to women, and three, whether it's a tactical or strategic approach versus an ideological uh, sort of belief system, right? The two probably most well-known writers associated with female separatism are also known as political lesbianism is Marilyn Fry and Sheila Jeffries. Marilyn Fry wrote in Notes on Separatism and Power, She talks about how separatism is a strategy practiced by most or all women, you know, at some point in our lives. It is an important part of a lot of feminist projects like women's refuges, uh, you know, women's studies programs, other female-only spaces, right? Basically, when women practice separatism on purpose, it's often responded to in like a hysterical way. Whereas when women engage in separatism, sort of in a way that's associated with patriarchy, that's seen as more normal. And she also points out how male separatism, such as like sports teams, labor unions, gentlemen's clubs, and so on, the military, and most decision making positions in general, that's seen as normal or even a good thing, right? So 
I mean, that's a fair point that like female separatism is often seen as a bad thing or crazy and male separatism, which is associated with power, is seen as more normal. That's interesting. So it's not just like female separatism from the standpoint of living separately. It's like creating entire infrastructures that are mirroring current male infrastructures as like a competing element. Yeah, I mean, they they propose like, yeah, like female only uh, communities with like female owned businesses, coffee shops, libraries, like, I I actually like the idea of building like a community for women and only women without any men, right? Because I do think it's important for women to have a support network of women that they can rely on. So my thing is like, okay, so are they are they suggesting where we completely separate from men and never interact again? Or because I think I could get behind an idea where you can kind of escape to a world for just women, kind of like a religious escape from, you know, secular society, like a feminine escape from um, patriarchal masculine society. That's one thing. But to say, hey, we're going to build an entirely separate world for women, by women, full wow, I guess, have nothing to do with the men, we create our own infrastructure, leadership like structures. That, I think, is a little bit more difficult. So most people think of female separatism as like a sort of like female only hippie commune. And that's probably the most like extreme example. There are some women who want that. Yeah, it's because a lot of the women that do that, it's like they start to engage in that endless virtue signaling or infighting that we talk about that happens with a lot of feminist groups. because one person will be like, well, um, I can't believe you're a feminist and you eat meat. Right. And then the next person would be like, I can't believe you're a feminist and uh, you don't use sustainable products. Well, it becomes about policing what other women do rather than like actually like improving society or actually improving things for women. I don't know. Like, I just, well, let me back up. So, yeah. So the female only commune is the most extreme example, but most separatists, I think, are advocating for things like female only domestic violence shelters or women's sports teams or women owned businesses, supporting female artists, that sort of thing. And that's the kind of stuff I'm like, I'm 100% behind that. Like, I live my entire life. Like, I find it so weird that I get so much criticism from separatists. And yet I live my life, like already, like the way that separatists say that things should be. I mostly listen to female artists. I, whenever possible, I support female businesses. Like basically whenever money leaves my bank account, I try to make sure that it goes to a woman. So yeah, it is kind of a bummer to me that like, I do support those ideas. And so I'm a little frustrated that I get so much hate from the people that promote those ideas. Right. Anyway, so the other, yeah, so I mentioned Marilyn Fry. I also want to talk about Sheila Jeffries. Sheila Jeffries has written about separatism and political lesbianism. She has this essay called Love Your Enemy, The Debate Between Heterosexual Feminism and Political Lesbianism, where she basically compares women to Nazi collaborators who are complicit in our own oppression. And (laughs) she says, she says, um, I don't know the quote, quote right in front of me. It's been a while since I read it, but she said something like being a heterosexual feminist is like resisting or bombing a bridge during the day and then at night rushing to go rebuild the bridge. Okay. (laughs) So she writes that only in like male female dynamics is the oppressor actually colonizing and invading and invading the body of the oppressed. And I partially agree with that. I even mentioned something, I had something that echoed that in my first article on feminist realism and how men and women are like two nations in which man, the larger, stronger nation colonizes woman, the smaller and weaker nation. First of all, we're talking about the fact that women are outgunned, outmanned, physical. Men are physically larger and stronger than us. Yeah. Yeah. They're, they're physically larger and stronger than us like in every conceivable way. It, to me, it makes a lot of, it doesn't make a lot of sense because you would have to 
have the perception that we had some realistic chance of surviving or winning direct warfare against men. And then also that men like carried some kind of unilateral banner. The other thing is men are not Nazis. Like a lot of men suck, but like the Nazis are just like objectively bad. Like they're just fully bad beginning and end, like from beginning to end, there's nothing good about them. Whereas with men, a lot of men are shitty, right? But not, you know, a lot of men do, you know, rape or murder women and stuff. But there are some men out there who aren't murderers and rapists, believe it or not. This reminds me of like, sorry, not to, not to mention who, must, who shall not be named, but Trump was like, and some, I assume, are good people. <laughs> yeah, many such cases. <laughs> <laughs> they send us their murderers and their rapists, but... <laughs> I'm trying to think of a situation where another country that is just so far outgunned. I don't know, like Vietnam, like successfully fought that. That wasn't a massacre, right? Like either you, you almost have to go kamikaze. Ethiopia. So Ethiopia is actually unknown much. I don't know why it's not um, discussed as much, but it's the only country in Africa that wasn't colonized. And it was an African country. The Italians attempted to colonize it. Um, I remember a few other countries tried. England just didn't work, had all of them surrender. And then you would never be able to trust anybody male that they weren't like, how would you trust someone male that they weren't a defector or that they were supporting you? Like it's, they don't have a unified banner, if that makes sense. So are you going to turn around and like shoot your brother in the face? That's the other thing is like men, you know, our fathers, our brothers, most women know at least a few men in their lives who are, who they love, right? Who, who are a part of their life, who are not oppressing them that's another difference between like nazis and men is like most people don't know a nazi and live with a nazi and is in love with a nazi kind of thing right so my thing is like to your point like i don't like this monolithic approach to men because women aren't a monolith like we are not like you said like we are not all subjugated by men i mean are there systems in which women are not necessarily beneficiaries of it sure but this isn't like a conspiracy amongst the Y chromosome holders to put us in that situation. It's usually their self-interest. Our oppression and um, our misfortune is more of a consequence of their own self-interest. Let's say we split humanity into team male and team female. There would be so many defectors on both sides, right? Because like you wouldn't be able to trust every woman. Like some of these women would be massive pickneys and you wouldn't be able to trust obviously every man. There'd be some guys that would be team male and then trying to like infiltrate, be spies, etc. So like just just the reality of not having any type of nationalistic borders where you can like make a delineation between who's on which side and yeah, who's on which side of the aisle. So the question I raised to you then is um, as women, do you have more of a shared interest with women, sorry, with men in your own geographic area or social area or with a woman that's nowhere near you physically, um, geographically or socially? So a woman that's somewhere else or a man that's close to you, who do you think you have more of a shared interest with just quantitatively. I mean, for me personally, yeah, I feel a closer allegiance to women of any race, religion, country, or background than I do with uh, even my own boyfriend, honestly. But a lot of women don't feel that way about me, again. So, like, even though I feel that kind of loyalty to other women, a lot of other women don't feel that loyalty towards other women, and a lot of women do feel a stronger loyalty to the men in their own racial, religious, or national background. Yeah. Oh, we kind of forgot to define the term. What is political lesbianism for those that are just listening and maybe didn't take a gender studies term? Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. So political lesbianism is, I believe it was Sheila Jeffries who defined it as being a woman-centered woman or a, a female-identified woman who does not fuck men. It's not about like actually being a lesbian. So they don't say 
you have to munch box for feminism. (laughs) 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 They don't say that they, they, it's not like you have to have sex with women. It's more about just refraining from sex with men. Again, it's, it's seen as like sort of outdated nowadays because nowadays we have born this way and part of the gay rights movement was like we don't choose our sexuality we're just born this way we're just normal people just like you kind of thing it's not a ideology or anything like that there's no gay agenda and so on whereas again this is like 1960s 1970s that was that was before our modern sort of conception of sexual orientation and so i'm sure there were a lot of female separatists or political lesbians who genuinely were like lesbian or bisexual and they thought well i'm attracted to women you know, if I can be attracted to him, that means any woman can kind of thing, right? I believe Julie Bindle was was all in on that at one point. I think she still is, actually. Um, but basically the idea that, I mean, again, I'm, I'm all about prioritizing women and being female-centric. Um, but again, I do like fucking men. So I, but again, I can't. <laughs> That's going to be a hard sell for a lot of women. I'm telling you, it's hostage heterosexuality. I'm all about like a strategic alliance. And I just think there, there's a lot more benefit to strategically aligning with other women than there is knee jerk always uh, allying with men. I think women need to just think more strategically because like you said, I think, or at least you started to say, um, what's your bigger draw the, you know, your brothers or people that live next to you in your community or some woman very, very far away. And I, I feel like it highly depends on the issue. Right. And some of our, some of our brothers and dads are scrotes. So, um, and we love them, but like they have really horrible views about things. Right. So I think to me, it's always important to just look out for your own best interest. Like it, it is, it is, it's a form of like geopolitical politics, right? Like where sometimes the enemy of my enemy is my friend. And sometimes like creating an alliance within your group is, or, or group cohesion is more important. I just think that as it is, like women tend to overvalue group cohesion with men and undervalue cohesion with other women. But I don't necessarily think like the answer is always solidarity with uh, women on every single issue. Your question about like, you know, uh, group alliance with men versus building class solidarity with women. And I, I think Rose said in our intro episode to female political strategy, that this is where the concept of intersectionality comes in. You know, nowadays, intersectionality is like this buzzword that people throw around, like, I'm a non-binary, queer, biracial, uh, tri-sexual, like, it's become identity politics. And that's not, yeah, so it's like, it's more about like having as many like oppression points as possible, and then use as a cudgel against your opponent being like, well, I'm more oppressed than you, I have more like marginalized identities than you. So, you know, I win. Whereas the actual concept of intersectionality, as Kimberly Crenshaw wrote about it, was that that, like women often have competing interests that might fall along racial lines, class lines, gender lines, and so on, right? And so it's important to acknowledge those different types of, or th- these different axes of oppression. Yeah, I think sometimes people miss the competing part because that's my other beef with the intersectionality because they feel like oppression is just this one big group. There's like team oppressed and then team oppressors and not realizing like you can be both oppressed and an oppressor and you can still like have competing interests at times. And I feel like none of that nuance is being explored with a lot of these uh, people that purport to be intersectionalists and they're just like, well, you're either team oppressed, which is like, it's nowhere near that simple. You're team oppressed or team oppressed. Yeah, exactly. But yeah, so getting back to separatism, I do, again, before I go into some of the limitations of separatism, I want to talk about some of the possible benefits. Again, because this all this whole conversation started on Twitter where I was like, oh yeah, I actually agree with this and this and this part of separatism. And then all the separatists just like dunking on me, just like, <laughs> just like dragging me down to hell. Anyway, so let's talk about like 
what are some of the possible benefits of female separatism? So first of all, I love the idea of supporting women-only businesses and professions in general. Like even if you're not a separatist, if you're just like a normal FDSer or even just a normal woman, like whenever you can, whenever money leaves your bank account, try to make sure that goes to another woman. It's not so much to do with like feminism so much as money is power and I want to increase collective female power. And so I try to make sure that money that I have goes to other women. Pin in that concept, because there's been a lot of discussion about supporting in-group politics when it comes to, when it comes along racial lines, right? There's like the Buy Black movement. There's obviously a lot of insular religious communities, like including like Jewish communities where they they support each other economically. Um, the question is like, once again, sustainability. And then obviously these these communities tend to live in somewhat proximity to each other where it's a little bit hard. I don't know. I guess it'd be, there's pros and cons of the fact that like women are basically everywhere. We're together, but also separated at the same time. Yeah. Yeah. That makes it sort of unique because we're like massively geographically spread out, but also massively geographically clustered. It's weird. So. Yeah. But the, I mean, there are... Maybe, you know, a hundred years ago would have been a lot harder to support female-owned businesses because, you know, men owned like 99% of all property. But now that women have rights and can own property and have businesses and have our own bank accounts and so on, it's much more realistic nowadays. Even compared to the 60s when separatists were starting out their ideas, there were not a lot of female-owned businesses. So again, part of separatism was this push to create women-owned businesses female entrepreneurs and supporting female entrepreneurship and so on so that women would have more money in their pockets and then increase collective female power. So again, I'm totally 100% in support of that. And number two is creating a thriving community and support network for women. I think that's also very important for women is to have lots of female friends. A lot of women are like, oh, like girls are so much drama or, you know, I only hang out with guys and ultimately like, yeah, it's okay to have male friends too. But with men, they're always going to try to fuck you. You know, that's just kind of a downside of them. Whereas with women, it's like uh, with other women, I find like they don't have that kind of like sexually predatory agenda. Some women might still have an agenda. Like if they're trying to sell you like uh, MLM products or whatever, that is a, that, that is a sort of woman that exists. But at least for me personally, like my friends, you know, we support each other when we're going through breakups, when we're going through grief, when one of us loses our job and so on. And so that's been really important for my level up journey as part of FDS. And just like improving my own life is just like prioritizing my friendships with other women over relationships with men. So I think that's great. For me, at least, I build so much camaraderie with women by talking shit about men. I'll say something like, men are useless unless he's paying for the date. If a guy doesn't pay for a date, I next him kind of thing. And then most women will be like, yeah, like I agree kind of thing, right? Or, you know, talking shit about men and so on is like a great basis for building female solidarity. And the separatists sort of get annoyed by that. They're just like, well, if men are so shitty, why do you date them kind of thing, right? They just don't get it. Because I'm attracted to them. <laughs> I don't have a choice. Exactly. Well, the only reality of that too is like, okay, so you're a complete separatist and then the women who are not separatists are going to keep having sex and babies with men. So then you're just going to be like outbred, so to speak. I know that seems like very morbid, but um, I don't know. <laughs> it literally ends after one generation. Because you won't have a sustainable population to like maintain your ideas or way of life. The women who are working with men are more than likely going to make more progress. It's a successful sexual strategy is cooperating with men. So... Can I draw a military analogy right now? We love those. So um, this is not widely known. I don't think so. <laughs> so uh, before you wage what's called like a large scale combat operation and like bringing the tanks and everything, you usually have like a small military, like special operations military that goes in, um, 
special operations team that goes in. And what they do is like they scope out the area and look for potential like friendly partner forces. So it's either like a militia, a dissident group, and um, a local friendly member of the society that they're trying to influence and change and see if they can mobilize them to achieve like our desired outcome that benefits our national interest. So we try to find like overlap, like, Hey, you're mad at your government. Guess what? So are we, how can we work together to get you to fix the problem? So it's a familiar face that people are listening to as opposed to us just like raving and like raging in with like our tanks and our um, closer support and all of that. And what tends to happen is there's so much more like U S involvement that doesn't make the news because the countries are doing their own stuff with the support of like, a 12 man team from like somewhere in Southern, like a base in the U S. So when you can get a partner force in the enemy forces to do the work for you with an enemy territory, you're more likely to be successful and never have to actually like trigger them and antagonize them. And they think it's their own idea and it works for men. You always want it to th- want them to think they came up with the idea. See, that's very interesting. And I, I like that strategy because it's also like about delegation. You know, it's, if you can get someone from that particular community to do the work for you instead of you it's a lot easier because they know the train they know the culture they know the people they have connections and so on whereas if you're coming at it as an outsider you don't know the culture you don't know the train you don't know anything to do with that right it puts you at like a disadvantage in terms of just like knowledge uh or i guess intelligence is what is how you'd say it how this would apply to men and women i mean yeah there are male there are male allies a lot of them do replicate patriarchal kind of dynamics like a lot of male allies come in there and try to mansplain feminism to me and they're sort of like annoying but there there are like male fds stands who are not super invasive who like the work that we do, they just send me DMs being like, I love like, the, I love this podcast episode. I shared it with my wife. I shared it with my daughter. You know, a lot of men reaching out to me who have daughters, especially. A lot of them are on our Patreon. Like they actually pay, like they actually spend their own money on our Patreon. So exactly. And those, those kinds of guys, I find they're not coming in there trying to like dictate what FDS should be about. Right. So as long as they're like right. good fans, they're, they're listening and not trying to dictate what's going on. I think it's good to have those kinds of guys on our team. Who knows? Maybe they're listening to this episode as we speak and they're thinking like, oh my gosh, they're talking about me right now kind of thing. <laughs> yeah, it's you. Like, it's pat on the back for the, the male FDS stance. Give yourself a pat on the back. <laughs> it's you, King. It's you, King. Stay good. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's sad because we wanted to like, uh, so we created a tier called Scroat Strike Back when we thought we would get a lot more angry men wanting to debate us, but instead we got a lot of guys with genuine dating questions and support and we're like ah oh, this sucks like i really thought i was gonna get to zero roast <laughs> no i, I like that i thought that was so wholesome it was wholesome, but i was like low-key disappointed because i was really excited about the roast i've seen some of the emails that the men send in the supportive ones or like genuine dating questions and i don't know i just see that and it gives me hope and i'm like oh that's so cute and wholesome like we definitely can create a better world for women and men like barf gross and rose just like no i want to destroy these guys <laughs> Actually, um, side note, maybe like, bro, you should do your own tier where it's like, if you want to get roasted, because there's some like socially kinky dudes that probably want to get torn up. That's true. <laughs> get like specifically roasted. Rose roasts. Yeah. And like, do you want Ro to roast you? 15 bucks, bro. Not a bad <laughs> idea. Like the, a roast tier. Hey, monetization strategy. There you go. See, 
capitalism can work, just give capitalism a chance. <laughs> there I am, the prophet of capitalism here. <laughs> okay. Um, but but back to the... We got off track, but that was a good off track. That was a good sidebar. But anyways, <laughs> uh, but back to the possible fem- benefits of female separatism. The, the last two I want to point out is that it can be a good temporary strategy for straight or bi women who don't want to swear off men altogether, but they just want to take a break from dating while they level up and focus more on themselves, their relationships with other women and so on. And I think that's very important when you're between relationships. And the other reason why I think that's a good thing is because the fewer women that are on the dating market at any given time, the more valuable, quote unquote, valuable, so to speak, the women who actually are on Tinder, you know how like, or not Tinder, but on the dating market, you know how like on Tinder and online dating, it's like 80% dudes that actually puts women in a strategic advantage just because, you know, supply, demand and stuff. Like, there's not a huge supply. Women are in high demand kind of thing. And there's actually been studies that show that in uh, communities or countries where men outnumber women, men are more likely to commit and invest in one woman. Whereas in certain communities like universities, for example, where it's more women than men, the men tend to be like fuckboys and they're less likely to commit and they're more likely to play the field and so on. So actually solid to all the separatists out there, either temporary or permanent, you're actually doing a solid for all the women who are actually dating. So I just want to give credit where credit is due. I mean, if they're opting out of the gene pool, goodbye. It's not about opting out of the gene pool because, for the, again, it's some for some women, it's a temporary thing, right? They're just taking a break between relationships, whereas men don't do that. Like, as soon as they break up, they're back on Tinder. Like, some of them will even be on Tinder while they're in a relationship, right? Like, men are just that fucking thirsty. <laughs> yeah, just to see what's out there. Exactly, right? Like, men, men should, in my opinion, men should be taking a break between relationships to work on themselves, but the reality is that they don't, whereas women do tend to take breaks between relationships to work on themselves. And I think that that is, that puts women in a strategic advantage. Um, but yeah. Oh, and then also, um, separatism, final point, it can be a great individual strategy for lesbians, asexual women, and even hetero women who just permanently never want to have a relationship with men. Yeah. I think that can be a good individual strategy. So again, like this is my problem with separatism is that it's a good individual or temporary strategy, but as a long-term strategy or as a collective strategy, that's where I think it fails. And that's where I want to get into some of the limitations. So limitations of female separatism. One is unrealistic for most women because most women are heterosexual and desire relationships with men. You're damn straight. Yeah, go ahead. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) thanks, Ro. Number two, um, I find that the actual enforcement of separatism or promotion of separatism uh, shames women for the things that women want. And what separatists don't seem to want to acknowledge is that a lot of women actually do want a family. They want to have kids. And a lot of them will be like, oh, it's socialization. Women don't actually want to have kids. They're brainwashed since birth to think that they have to have it. And while that may be true for a lot of women, even without the socialization, I think it's completely natural and, in fact, like biologically determined to want to have offspring. Like all animals, you know, there's all these animals out there that have not had any kind of socialization and they all want to have, they all have that urge, that drive to have kids, right? I think I just want to add, um, interject just a conservative alienation from this entire conversation about like political lesbianism and female separatists. It, it, exactly that. It's this idea that we can exist wholly and separately from men is just inconceivable because of the idea with or without religion that, you know, the traditional idea that men and women are intended to not only coexist, but like to be interdependent on one another. Now where you have like an unbalanced power structure, imbalanced power structure where only women need men and or vice versa, but an interdependence where we both bring complementary needs to the table. And 
political separatism, uh, female separatism just doesn't allow for a healthy involvement of that. So to me, it's just, it's a nonsense idea. And then the other thing too, is like, let's say you do have kids. It, it kind of requires you to not have kids. Cause like, if you have kids, you have a 50 50 chance of having a boy. And then what do you do? Kick him out when he turns like 15 or something. That's the, I mean, and, and to be fair, they do that in some of those Mormon villages where there's uh, one where, where one man can have many wives um, because of the fact that as soon as the boys become of age, obviously the girls, their age are more interested in them than marrying some gross old man. So in order to keep the power balance in favor of the old men having many, many wives, they kick the boys out. So you'd almost have to do a reverse, <laughs> reverse Mormon compound situation where you would have to kick the boys out after certain age, which I don't think most women are going to be like, no, you can never see your son. I mean, the separatists are mostly like, they'll be like, oh, you can just have an abortion or something. And I know I joke sometimes about like, oh, I'm going to either have a daughter or an abortion. That's a joke. Like if I actually got pregnant and it ended up being a boy, I'd probably be like Gail Dines. I'd give birth, you know, raise him to be a good man and so on. Right. You would make good boys. Yeah, I see you making like good boys, and I appreciate that about you, you too. Yeah, do that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, most women, they love their sons, right? And, you know, we sometimes we joke about, like, boy moms and stuff, and who boy moms are mothers of sons who are really anti-feminist and will be, like, ride or die for, like, their shitty rapist sons or whatever. So that's another topic. That's another topic for another conversation. But yeah, so, like, most women actually want a family. And this is the difference between FDS and separatism is that we're all about validating the things that women want, whereas separatists, it almost feels like a pseudo-religion where it's, like, shaming women for having sexual urges, telling women that their desires are, like, wrong or sinful kind of thing. That's what it kind of feels like is the in terms of the policing of separatism or by separatists. Another point, separatist rhetoric often circles back to misogyny and victim blaming. You know, we've, it's kind of like a meme at this point that the separatists go around calling women cocksuckers, dick worshippers, dick panderers, dick holsters, girl boss or whatever. Like, but they have used this very weirdly like pornified kind of language to describe heterosexual women. And they say that they're doing it for feminism. And I see most women see that and they think they're insane. Like, I don't think that perpetuating misogyny in the name of feminism is a thing. That's just, I, I a lot of separatists are just female misogynists. You know, they'll, they, they say, oh, I, I don't hate all women. I just hate women who are male partnered or who are heterosexual. And it's like, okay, so you hate like 97% of women. That's still, I consider misogyny, right? And it's, it's also like blaming women for our own oppression. I mean, if a man said it, if a man said it, I don't hate all women. I just hate, I just hate those sluts. Yeah. Like if (laughs) it's the exact same rhetoric as like a patriarchal man being like, I don't hate all women. I just hate whores and sluts. That's literally the exact same thought process. They constantly say like, well, it's our reasoning behind it is different. It's like, I don't care what your reasoning behind it is different if the outcome is the same. Is going around calling women whores and sluts. Uh, it's not conducive to female solidarity. And, auth- and honestly, like, I would rather live in a female-only commune with a bunch of pick-me's than a bunch of separatists because pick-me's at least don't go around calling me a dick worshiper. The other point is that female separatism doesn't challenge patriarchal power structures in any meaningful way due to the lack of buy-in from most women. It's sort of like, you know, those hippie communes in the 1960s and 70s where a bunch of like hippies would go off and live off the land. Meanwhile, capitalism was still raging in the background, you know, all throughout the 80s and so on. It had no meaningful effect on capitalism. It's That's what I mean about it being an individual strategy. It might work for a few individuals in small communities and so on, but it doesn't challenge the inherent uh, power structures and patriarchy. My last point is that, and this is my most important point, which is that I consider 
female separatism to be just rebranded female seclusion. And female seclusion is a concept that's existed in many different cultures throughout history. Sometimes it's been called like the harem system uh, in certain cultures. And it's sort of a misconception that the harem is about polygamy, because there are some cultures where polygamy is practiced, but they don't have a harem. Harem being a location in the house that is sort of like guarded and reserved only for the female family members. And there's some cultures that have the harem system, but they don't practice polygamy. The harem is not about polygamy. It is about having basically a female-only space place for uh, the female relatives of the man of the house, his sisters, mother, daughters, uh, wives and concubines, and so on. It's typically associated with aristocracy, so it would only be like palaces or wealthy people who had harems, and that was because working class women, you know, they couldn't afford the privilege of just staying at home. They had to actually go outside and like do their job. It's also existed in like Russia, for example, like uh, in old timey Russia. There apparently was this whole system where a woman would just literally never, if well, aristocratic women that is, would just literally never leave the second floor of their house their entire lives until they got married and then they'd go to their husband's house and never leave that. That would drive me crazy. Female separatism is just sort of like the rad femme equivalent of how liberal feminists try to reclaim words like whore and slut. They're like, you know, they try to be like, well, I'm an empowered woman because I'm having sex with all these men. And, you know, I'm they're living out this sort of like the, they're doing exactly what men want them to do, which is to be very sexual or being sexually available to men. But then they're reclaiming that and just slapping the word feminist on it and being like, well, now that it's my choice, now it's suddenly a feminist thing. And female separatists would probably be offended by me comparing it to the harem system. They'd say, well, female separatism is about choice. It's something that we're doing voluntarily. But to me, it doesn't really matter if you're saying that you're doing it voluntary if the, voluntarily if the end result is the same female separation or lack of inclusion. Women, you know, separating themselves from men and not being included in the corridors of power. In both cases, it's something that benefits men. And whether it's voluntary or not, it doesn't really matter. And the other thing is that, like, the, even the reasoning for female separatists, like, they often say, oh, well, you know, with fe- if we're in a separate commune, you know, we'll be safe from male violence. Women in the harem system, I'm sure they, like, we don't know exactly what these women thought, but a lot of them, I'm sure, thought of themselves as safe and protected, uh, especially since it was associated with aristocracy. They probably thought themselves as like, oh, well, I'm protected from all those, all the poors who might, you know, try to sexually harass or rape me, unlike, you know, those poor women who don't have that sort of safety, right? So my point being that, like, If you're doing it in a reactionary way, like you're reacting to male violence, you're secluding yourself as the cure for male violence, you're not treating the original cause, which is male violence, right? And we talked in the episode about, with uh, Shagaya Neruzi, how the existence of male violence in society exists on purpose to shrink women, to cause women to seclude themselves, to cover themselves up, and so on. And so, Rather than trying to, you know, live separately from men to avoid male violence, we need to attack the power structures that allow male violence to happen. Like, the goal should be to end male violence at the root, rather than just separating from men, which I consider a sort of band-aid. Instead of separating from men, you know what we should be doing? We should be fighting... Asymmetric warfare. Yeah, we should be engaging in asymmetric warfare, fighting for women's full participation in society, and increasing overall female power, rather than shrinking ourselves and secluding ourselves and separating ourselves, which only makes us smaller. Yeah, so strategy summary one, identify male collaborators. Leverage good men to defeat the bad men. Be like uh, the special operations forces who go into a community and identify people who are friendly to your cause, right? I think men can never be 
members of Team Female, but they can be fans of Team Female. They can cheer for us, right? So yeah, that's one. Don't tell them what to do. Inspire them what to do from within. So like, yeah, find like a a willing male and indoctrinate him, psyop him onto the side of women and then be like, hey, you should go get him to want to help women. Yeah. Yeah. And be like, go tell, like, don't you wish other men were like you? You're clued in, King. Like, go get your other dudes to follow along. Actually, you know how I, you know how I talk to men in real life about this is like, all men, all men want to be seen as a hero, even if they're not actually heroes, even if they're absolute dickheads, even incels and shit, they want to see themselves as heroes. But the thing is, is all men want to be seen as a hero. And for, as women, what we can do is define what it means to be a hero, and that will manipulate them into wanting to fit into that. Up until now, it's been men who define what it means to be a hero as a man. And I think as women, we need to be like, you know, sometimes I'll be talking to guys and be like, oh, you know, I love it when men do this, or, you know, I'm used to men doing this, and that makes them a really good guy, or, oh, I hope you're not one of those guys who does this kind of thing. And that if you define good behavior versus bad behavior, they'll be like, oh, I don't want to be one of the bad ones kind yes. of thing. I want to be one of the good ones. And then if you, as a woman, define what it means to be good, they'll go along with it. Exactly. This is, okay, so I, I know this seems like a little manipulative, but there's a reason we're not physically stronger than men. That's because we're mentally more agile. <laughs> when I want a man to do something at work that I know they don't want to do, I'll just be like, do you want to be my superhero? Because I'm just at a loss. And like, insert said task I do not want to fucking do. He's like, yeah, yeah, that's too easy. I got it. Like, do you need anything else? No, Derek, you're the best. Thank you. Men, deep down, they love to be useful, okay? And that's the other problem with female separatism is they just write off all men as useless, bad, evil, and so on. Men want to be seen as useful. And so if you as a woman define what it means to be useful, they'll do that for you. Exactly. Great takeaway. Love it. So my key strategy takeaway is to make sure that you're finding strategic alliances with women where you can and understand yourself, you know, as an intersectional being. And that means including prioritizing things that will support your sex above other things when it's appropriate. So always be thinking of in terms of the wants and needs you have and then make strategic alliances because that's more politically beneficial as well, strategically beneficial and not so much female separatism. Yeah. And also when you're, when you're talking to other women, rather than condemning them for the things that they want, like a lot of separatists do definitely appeal to self-interest. Like if you're, that's just like persuasion 101 appeal to self-interest and try to find common ground with other women rather than just focusing on the differences if you'd like to read this article you can check out my recently launched substack feministrealism.substack.com i'll also drop a link in the show notes so uh thank you for listening you can check us out on twitter at female political as well as our patreon patreon.com forward slash female political strategy and our facebook page you can check out our facebook page in the link to the show notes See you next week.